We are in a study about pleasing God, and it's a really good book uh, that R.C. Sproul had written as a little smaller book uh, than some of his other ones. And we've been kind of going through, um, after we've been going through Romans and talking about the wrath of God and talking about all that God hates and pretty much anything of the flesh, anything that's not born of God, God just despises because it, it's not holy, it's not pure. And, and so now we're looking through the summer through this series of, so what does please God then? What does God desire? What does God want I don't know about you, but when I look at all the things that God hates and he has a disdain for, I begin to ask myself, so then what is he, I'm very practical, so what does he really want then? And so I started asking that question and I was looking on my shelf and I was like, oh, that's right, I have that book. Uh, And I looked at it and said, hey, that'd be good to go through to follow up on God's wrath. So uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at Um, in this idea of pleasing God, we looked at this idea of what is the goal of the Christian life then? What really pleases God? What should our goal be? And we talked about this statement, quorum Deo, which means before the face of God. And so we talked about what is really God's desire or what pleases him is, is that we live basically before the presence of God in every day of our life. That we Everything that we're doing, we're actually doing as if God is right there in our presence because he is right there in in our presence. And so that was a long standard answer to that question. What is our goal? How should we live our life? And so uh, back in the Reformation period, they said, well, let's answer that question. And they wrote a ton of verses on that. And the idea was to live before the face of God. Well, the second thing that we're going to look at this morning, it's not in your notes, but that is God's desire is for us to be righteous. God wants us to be righteous. And we talked about what does that mean? Um, You know, talking uh, to the kids this morning is to live with right character from our heart before God and also to have right actions before men. So that right character or that right desire for God in our life produces right action. That's the idea. And in our text from last week, we read Matthew 6, verse 33. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the things of life will be added to you. Um, Rather than being anxious about, you know, what we wear, what we eat, all the things that are going on, rather than all that, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Living our life before the face of God. What's interesting is that idea of first, the idea literally is to not be first in number. Like So first we seek God's kingdom, then we seek his righteousness, and then we, we seek everything else. That's not the meaning. The actual meaning of this word in the original language is the idea of priority. That our first priority or the priority of all things is to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. It's that, that first priority. And you know what it like when we wake up in the morning, there's there's priority, right? Is to go get coffee. That's right. <laughs> so if you know me well enough, first priority of the morning, I wake up, you know, I do put on my clothes, go downstairs and get my cup of coffee. 
Second priority is get some protein. And third priority, go feed the pigs because I like my bacon. And that, you know, and so, you know, so you got your, your priority. But the first priority in every aspect of your living, the priority of your marriage is to seek God. Your priority of going to school is to seek God. Your priority at work is to seek God. Your priority as a kid with your parents is to seek God. Your first importance, your priority is the Lord to seek his righteousness. Which is interesting because God, the the Pharisees were the same way. Their first priority in life was to be righteous. They wanted to be known to be righteous. And we see in Luke chapter 12 in verse 1, and Jesus comes up with a statement and he says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered around him, they were trampling one another to get to Christ. And he began to teach his disciples first, And he said this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Why did he say this? I mean, if God's priority is righteousness, why did he struggle with them? As we heard, we know that the Pharisees were really focused on righteousness, but God didn't want us to just have this outward righteousness. He wanted a more complete righteousness. And he said, not only Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, but you need to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. You need to be, go beyond what they did. And you're like, wait a minute. You may, if you heard what I said about the Pharisees, they have thousands and thousands of laws. I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of like some other lawgivers we have today. They just want to make a law about everything. You know, the, Nobody can understand a law because they keep complicated by making more laws. And that's the Pharisees, and that's what they did. They were known as the lawyers of the day. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven. And so as we seek first God's kingdom, and as we seek God's righteousness, he says, now look, beware of this leaven. And it's an important statement. You need to understand the aspect of the Pharisees. As he says, beware, do you know the term beware? It comes from two words. It's to be and to war. That's where it comes from, to be and to war. It's actually to beware as if you're in a war. When you're in a war and you're fighting for your life, you are hypersensitive of the things going around you. And so Jesus is saying, you have to be hypersensitive of leaven creeping into your life and not to become like the Pharisees. So in the sense that God wants us to be righteous, but not like the Pharisees. So let's look at the Pharisees. Where did the Pharisees come from? Did you ever notice? Did you ever find the Pharisees in the Old Testament? Nope, they're not there. So where did they come from? Well, here's the thing. During the end of the Old Testament period, then we had the the Maccabean period or the intertestament period. And during that time, there was this this secularization of Jewish believers or Jewish people, and the Israelites were becoming more and more secular and they were adopting more and more cultures. And as the Roman influence had come in and taken over, there was this hyper secularization of the Jewish faith. 
people were turning more and more away from God and turning more and more to the different cultures and influence of that culture coming in. Sound kind of familiar? We see that happening today. Well, a group of people got together and they said, we don't like that people are turning away from God's commands. They're just, they're not following God anymore. And those people determined to set themselves apart. And the the word Pharisee literally means one who's been set apart. And they determined to set themselves apart to turn people's attention back to God's commands. That sounds great, doesn't it? They were very much like what we would know if you know the Puritans. The Puritans saw this, you know, that the church and a lot of the state churches, whether it was Catholic or the Protestant state church in England, the Anglican church, and they were all becoming more and more about this outward look as a believer, and they were becoming less and less more or less and less about who God is and God's word. And so the Puritans came along to really focus on knowing God. That should sound familiar because of our study of knowing God with J.R. Packer. And this is the same bent. But they went beyond that. And they became what we would consider a lot like the Amish. You know the Amish? Those that get together and there's no outside influences and they make rules and they have a bunch of other rules. And if you look at the Amish, they look a lot like the Orthodox Jews with their hair, their style, their clothes, everything. I noticed when I was in Israel, when I first got there and I hadn't taken my Jewish thought and practice class, that was we had our very own rabbi who taught the class to us and we go meet in the synagogue and the homes of other Jewish people. Uh, people. And so we would learn all about their customs and practice. And I remember, I was like, man, there's a bunch of Amish people here. And they all laughed at me. And they're like, oh, those are just, these are the real Orthodox Hasidic Jews. And they're, they're really um, like a modern day Pharisee. And they focus on all these, following all these rules and all the laws. That's just like the Pharisees did, just like the Amish people did, just like the Hasidic Jews of today are doing. They followed every law, and you couldn't do anything outside in the world. So the Pharisees were called the separated ones, the ones that separated themselves to follow the commands of God, which is amazing. And did you ever notice all the things that God said about the Pharisees, that when Jesus was upset with the Pharisees, and he talks bad about, or, you know, he He doesn't talk necessarily bad about them, but he just basically calls them out for their sin, and they get mad at him all the time. They're like, look how good we are. We follow everything. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, uh, in verse 37, Jesus was speaking. They had gone, and they were eating together, lying at the table, and they all noticed Jesus didn't wash his hands before he started eating. That bugged them to death, right? Just like you moms. You know, did you check your ears? Did you check your face? Did you check? I'm like, I never got that. Why, do you, why does the face have to do with eating? Well, maybe the lips. But, you know, it's like the, the Pharisees were like, oh my goodness, he didn't keep the law. But if you go in, and the law had nothing to do with the Ten Commandments, had nothing to do with their relationship 
with God, but to the Pharisees, it meant everything. And Jesus rebukes them. And one of the lawyers in verse 45, one of the Pharisees answered him, says, Teacher, in these things you have insulted us also. And Jesus responded by saying, Woe to you lawyers also, you have loaded the people with burdens hard to bear. You've made all these commands, you've burdened the people. What's amazing is, is here's what the Pharisees were known for. Did you know the Pharisees were highly evangelistic? Matthew 23, 15, it says, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you travel lands and seas to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. As we look at these things that the Pharisees were known for, did you notice that these Pharisees were known by something that pleases God, but also they were known by something that displeases God? They were known to be evangelistic. They would go far into land and by sea to just win one person to their faith. They were extreme evangelists, right? How many of you would just go, you'd say, yep, I'm going to be a missionary and I'm going to go to Timbuktu, which is actually a real place, but we, you know, saying Timbuktu to mean just in the far reaches of the netherworld. And we go in the far reaches of the world into the, into the jungles of wherever, and we're going to win one person to Christ. How many have that kind of zeal? That was the Pharisees' zeal for evangelism. They put a lot of us to shame. But here's the thing. Many of us would say, you know, I'm not that evangelistic. I should be that evangelistic. But do you notice what they won them to? All They were just winning people to a bunch of commands, but no relationship with the Lord. They didn't know Christ. The Pharisees were also not just evangelistic, they were tithers. They were tithers, they were givers. And it says in Matthew 23, verse 23, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of law, justice and mercy and faith. He said, wow. So, you know, we, it's good to give to the Lord and, and not to rob God and to say that, you know, our money and the things, our possessions are more, God is more important than all those things. And that's the importance that we're just giving to the Lord. And there's all sorts of teaching in the New Testament about giving to God and that we should give cheerfully and want to give to God. But the Pharisees took it to a whole nother level. It's like this. Uh, R.C. Sproul put it this way in his book. He said, it's like, you know, we get a paycheck, we get this hundred bucks, and so we give our ten dollars uh, to the Lord, and, and it's, it's a good thing, and we give them ten dollars. But then during the week, we walk around, and, and we see you know, we see a dollar or two dollars on the ground and we pick it up and we say, oh, cool, thank you, Lord. And we put it in our pocket and we go, you know, get some ice cream or, you know, uh, you do something with it, right? And, but the, you know what the Pharisees would do? They would see that, you know, dollar on the ground and they'd say, okay, now I've got to go, I got to go give 10 more cents to God. They would, everything they got, and that's why they, they gave of all of their spices, right? Now, those of you that know me, I like my spices. I have gallon jars of spices. 
when I make my rub for pigs and bacon and all that kind of stuff. I, I love them. But, and it's funny, I go out and I buy all of these spices, but I've never, ever, ever in my wildest imagination thought about saying, okay, I have five gallons of spices, and so now I'm going to give a half a gallon to, to someone else or give it to the Lord. I've never thought of that. That's what the Pharisees, that's how they thought. They were tithers. But they still were robbing God. They had given so much, but the weightier matters of their heart were still far from God. They were also known as men of prayer. Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, Thus God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And Jesus mentioned several times that they would always stand and they'd openly pray and they would do it often. And they would do it loudly so everybody could hear and, and say, yep, yep, look, they're praying, they're spiritual, look how, how they pray. And they'd have these great oration and, and they were great you know, prayer people and they would speak so eloquently as they prayed and people would look up to them. They, were, they took prayer to an extreme level. Jesus spoke of this pattern of prayer and as they did it in public. And God was displeased about that because it wasn't, it was a hypocritical prayer. It was, it was a prayer for others. It wasn't a prayer talking to God. He was displeased because it really was a failure in their prayer. Well, then they had, they were also, the Pharisees read their Bibles. They searched and searched and searched every part of scripture. That's why Jesus was so dumbfounded because they knew the Bible, but they couldn't even understand that he was the Messiah. They couldn't see the connections. He says in John 5, it says, you search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life. The the Pharisees had great theology when it came to living out life in many, many, many forms. In and of itself, you could say that the Pharisees were a professional religious people of the day. They were, they were professional religion. They lived out religion in the most professional manner they could. But if you look at all of these things, these are things that you regularly hear in church today, isn't it? You notice that? Be evangelistic. Give to God. Pray often. Know your Bible. Isn't this the things that we hear in church? Well, partly because these things are talked about in Scripture. And God wants us to be righteous. God wants us to live rightly. But he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So what's the leaven? You know, when you make, make bread, you get a little bit of yeast and you mix it and you proof that yeast so you know that there's live bacteria in it because if you're like us, the yeast lives in the freezer. You take it out, you, you proof it, you get it and, and leaven actually creates heat. The yeast or leaven creates uh, its own heat and it begins to cook itself and it grows 
And you put it and you mix it in just a little bit with your bread and it makes your bread grow. I'm always amazed. Anissa made cinnamon rolls the other day. It was awesome. And thank you, Jared, for requesting the cinnamon rolls. And uh, I was eating them too many. But uh, we, uh, she made the dough. The dough was about like this. She puts it in the refrigerator and we get up in the next morning and the dough is overflowing in the big bowl, the big mixing bowl. Oh, and I'm like, lots of cinnamon rolls. <laughs> I see that and it's like, ooh, yum, great. You know, but that's what happens. And, G- and Jesus is saying, beware of that leaven, that little, that it creates this heat in your life and what once was small begins to grow and it expands And it takes over, and it overflows in your life. And here's what's going on. We see this leaven of hypocrisy. He says, and he tells us right here in verse 1, right in in Luke chapter 12. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Thank the Lord. He gives us a very clear statement. He says, hey, by the way, the leaven is this. It's hypocrisy. Leaven is used figuratively to describe corruption of thought and conduct. It's a little bit of yeast of how we think. So the Pharisees took the idea of they need to get back to God, which is a good thing. And they said, we're going to do it through living rightly by following a bunch of commands. And what happened was is they took a corrupt, a little corrupt thought... And it took over their whole existence and actually took them further away from God. Their goal in the beginning was to get closer to God. But one corrupt thought, that little bit of leaven, destroyed the actual relationship with God. Leaven is also figuratively described, uh, describes teaching based on unspiritual value system, Matthew 16. They understood that they did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, and the disciples got it. They said, oh, but the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In, in Matthew 16, the disciples began to realize, oh, that, the, the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is something that God wanted them to watch out for. Don't follow it. So leaven isn't just corrupting of thought and conduct, but it's also a spiritual value system. It's a value system that is not valued by God. The other way that leaven is used as a metaphor for sin among believers, 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks to the Corinthian church and says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Talking about the sin and how sin had entered into the church and it had taken over the whole church. Sin was overflowing in the church in Corinth. It was known as the worldly church. It was highly worldly. So look at what a leaven does to a person. What does it look like? How do we know if a little leaven has begun to get into our life and overtake our life? And to corrupt what God wants us to do in life in pleasing Him. Well, His outward, He is outwardly fake. That's what hypocrisy is talking about. Matthew 23, 28. So 
In verse 28 it says, So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So on the outside, they looked right. They did everything exactly right. They had followed all the laws. But inwardly, they were a wreck. They were lawless. They were sinful. They were fake. They were filled with hypocrisy. So they looked right on the outside. Everybody said, yep, look, look. There goes that Pharisee, and he, he is perfect. He does everything right. We need to be like him. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. They are outwardly fake. They look right, but inwardly they're all wrong. The second is, is that he, is, uh, he has hatred in his heart. person that is filled with this little leaven that Jesus is beware of that leaven. He has hatred in his heart, just like Proverbs 26, 24. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. His lips says one thing, but in his heart, he's filled with hatred. You know, people like that, eventually they explode on you. They, have, they, they explode full of bitterness and wrath, and they yell and scream because inwardly, they, outwardly, they're like, oh, yeah, everything is fine, but inwardly, they're filled with hate. That's what a little leaven does to a person. His friendships become deceptive. His friendships become deceptive. Romans 16 talks about that, to beware of these kind of people. They buddy up to you, and they want to be your friends, and, and they're really false teachers, and they're really people that... They want to use you. They're deceptive. They deceive. And in doing so, they cause many divisions and create obstacles in the church. Little people filled with leaven and just a little leaven, they become deceptive. The other one is is that he is uh, apathetic and hates to deal with his own sin. If you've been infected with leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees, and you've been trying to focus on making everything look right on the outside, and, but inside you're just wasting away, you don't want your sin to be exposed. You're afraid that somebody might, oh no, they might know the true intentions of your heart. Luke 6, 42, and we know it, it, it's the same uh, what we read in Matthew 18 when it talks about in verse 42, or you say, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck in, in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? A lot of people that are, have a leaven in their life, they don't want to deal with their sin. They're afraid to deal with their sin. They're so concerned about that outward image. How, oh my goodness, that somebody would find out what the inside is really like. He is greedy and selfish and will exploit you. Many, it says in 2 Peter, and many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. You know, how many times do people say, well, yeah, I don't want to go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. Right? Because they see there's so many people that are greedy and selfish. I love, I've, I've talked to people in town and they're like, oh, you go to that church. They're like family. That's what we want. We want them to know that we are a part of the family of God, that we're different. And, and, and it is becoming that more and more. But it says in verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Yeah, so they become greedy and selfish. 
Um, his attitude is arrogant and condescending, just like the Pharisee when he stood there and he prayed in, in Luke 18, 11, and 22. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other peoples. I'm not like them. I'm better than them. And Jesus is like, nope. Actually, the tax collector is better than you. <laughs> because the tax collector was saying, Lord, I am so, I'm a sinful person. Please have mercy on me. And he went away justified because he was, knew he was a sinner. And he shared that with the Lord. Here's the reality as we conclude this idea of beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The Pharisees put all of their stock in how they looked outside. God wants us to be righteous. He wants us to live right. But we're not living right so that we look good on the outside. He wants us to seek His righteousness. Not the righteousness that comes from our own. Is the righteousness of God in your bloodstream? Is it the life, your life, is God's righteousness, not your own? See, the Pharisees made it all about their righteousness. They went through the outward motions of piety. I mean, they were the perfect Christian, right? They were evangelists, tithers, prayer, Bible-studying folk, right? They were perfect. They excelled at a lot of these things. But it was all external. And so God had issues with that. God doesn't want us to be external Christians. He says, beware of that leaven. Don't fall into that trap. Don't get so focused on just being good, but focus on loving me. The Christian life that pleases God is one that is both internal and external. Matthew 23, he went, Jesus went on to say with the Pharisees, he said, they keep the letter of the law, but they neglect the spirit of the law. Galatians 6.6 6 says, God is not mocked, right? God is not a fool, we can't fool him. And if we live by the flesh, we'll reap the benefits of the flesh, corruption. That's right. If even if you live, by the way, just after the context about doing good things, if you do good things in the flesh and you're going to reap, those good things are going to be corrupted. But if you live according to the Spirit in Galatians 6, if you live according to the Spirit, then you will benefit from the fruit of the Spirit. God's righteousness, God's the gentleness, peace, love, joy, gentleness, all these things that come from God will come out of you because you sow the things of the Spirit. The Scripture warns us that people look and focus a lot on the outward appearance, but God looks at your heart. Are you just going through the motions this morning? Or are you loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might? Remember, Jesus said that after a Pharisee asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, do this. This is the commandment. We, can't, we cannot excuse disobedience in our heart by appealing to just external good things. That's the, 11, that's the leaven of the Pharisees. 
say, you know what, I know that I have sin in my heart, so I'm going to go out and do just a bunch of good things. That's what the Pharisees did. We can't do that. We've got to get our heart right with God. There's only one way to keep the commandments of God, and that is not by relying on self, but continually relying on God's Spirit to work in us by loving Him. It is the Spirit that set you free. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, it was Christ that saved us. It's the Holy Spirit that made us alive in Ephesians 2. He did that so we can obey Him, so we can love Him. God says, love me and keep my commandments. It's not the other way around. We don't show that we're loving God by just doing a bunch of commandments and just doing all this outward external things. It's actually by having a heart's desire and love for God. Beware. Act like you're in a war. Beware. With your fleshly desires to just do good. So you're not focused on just external things of being self-righteous. And thus you miss the heart-to-heart relationship with God. The heart for God and love for God will always transform and change your life. Doing good things will not do that. It just covers up all the bad things. God literally will transform and work through you. It says in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Christ. He will change you. The real question is then, does your inward heart match your outward life? There's two ways that can go, right? Are you doing just, are you, is your outward life just doing a bunch of good things because, because you're hiding something? Or is, you know, another one is, is, is your inward, or you say that in your heart you love the Lord, but you're struggling mightily, right, in doing good things. Those that actually love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind don't struggle with doing good things. When they find that they're not doing the right thing, they love it because they just love the Lord and want to make it right. Are you letting God make things right in your life? Is your heart exposed to the Lord? Love the Lord. Let Him change you. Don't try to change you. Let God change you. He can do it. He can do what the Pharisees could not do. That's what leaven does. It, it steals all of God's blessings and grace in your life. The law is not necessarily bad, but if you're doing it to cover up your heart, that's bad. Don't do that. Don't be like the Pharisee. Don't let leaven creep in and make you feel like everything is right. Make sure your heart is right with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You care about righteousness because it's yours. You are alone are right. Therefore, you imputed or gave us that righteousness, not based on our good deeds, but based on Christ's perfect life when he died on the cross for our sins. We can rejoice and be glad because you died for us to pay for our sin. You were found right. And then you died and you rose again that we might be partakers of that righteousness. 
Lord, help us not to be fooled as the Pharisees were fooled. Help us not to be so focused on just living right that we miss having a heart-to-heart relationship with you, a love for you, a marriage to you, being fully devoted to you, that we care so much about you that we would hate to displease you. Thank you that when we love you that much, that you actually give us gifts and abilities through the power of the Spirit to enjoy the life that we're living, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of struggles, the Holy Spirit empowers us. We are not alone. We have you. But Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that has never surrendered to you, that they Never, they've been trying to be good on the outside, but they've been just like the Pharisee and the leaven has taken over in their life. And they've believed that the way to heaven is by being good. That they'd realize this morning it's about your goodness. We can't have, there's none, we can't produce goodness. It's just an outward manifestation, but inwardly we're, you're, we're dying without you. And Lord, this morning that they would surrender to you, that they would give your heart, their heart to you. And Lord, that they would confess who they really are and they'd realize who you are and that they would surrender to you and be saved this morning. I pray that if there's someone here listening, either here or by live stream, that Lord, that they would surrender their life to you and be saved. Thank you for that work that you did for us. And may we not adopt any of this leaven, but we continue to realize that living according to the gospel, the good news of what you did on the cross for us is the most important thing for our heart that is totally devoted to you and that you would continue to help us to become more and more in a stronger family of God. Thank you for the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us that we are called the children of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.